Hello, everyone. I am Mariah Muhammad, writer with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. Today, I'm especially pleased to be joined by Dr. Cynthia Horner, Vice President of Amwell Medical Group. Doctor, thank you so much for talking with us today. We are very pleased to have you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Mariah. It's wonderful to be here, and I appreciate your having me on your podcast. Yeah, of course. Again, so glad to talk to you today. Um, And with that, let's jump right into our conversation. So to get us started and get a good background for what we'll be discussing today, could you please just introduce yourself, share a bit about your role in organization and what you've currently been working on so far this year? So I'm a family physician by profession. I've been in practice for a little over 25 years and My current role is as vice president of Amwell Medical Group, which uh, is the medical group that serves Amwell, the telehealth company. So in my role as vice president, I lead our medical group of several thousand clinicians and provide clinical insights in several different areas in, in both our software build, Amwell being a software telehealth company, and uh, working with clients, health systems and health plans in particular, as they look to solve some of their biggest challenges in healthcare delivery and help to really reinforce where virtual care can actually help to solve some of the the challenges that both providers, patients, and health plans, the payers, and health systems uh, find in the delivery of healthcare. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much for giving us that background on you and what you've been working on. So to jump right into our conversation today, some research that I I found earlier uh, from last year actually shows that patients want greater access to digital health tools to manage their health, which is not surprising at all. Um, And many organizations are working to meet this demand, recognizing it's a key opportunity to satisfy patients and create efficiency and staffing gaps. What are some key trends you're seeing in this virtual care space, especially primary care? Are there any opportunities and challenges that have emerged? Absolutely. So, you know, virtual virtual care is really interesting, particularly virtual primary care, because it's been a buzzword in the industry for uh, probably the last three to four years. And I think... um, Pre-COVID, there was a lot of churn on what exactly virtual primary care should look like. What does it mean? Is it really just um, putting a video visit in front of a primary care doctor and helping them connect through a video visit with their patient? Or is there something a little bit more robust or even sophisticated than that? Um, Obviously, it's evolved since that initial iteration into something quite a bit more. So, What we're hearing now and what we're seeing now is a lot more focus on how virtual care can both improve patient or in the case of a health plan member satisfaction, especially improve outcomes in health and drive down costs. And and then finally, you know, it's that it's that quadruple, triple quadruple aim uh, of improving provider satisfaction and reducing burnout. So All of those are areas in which virtual primary care in particular can help achieve that aim. And I'm happy to sort of expand on that, but there are several different elements within that that we're starting to see. It's value-based care is a a really hot topic right now. And um, how the role of hybrid care, so 
you know, we used to hear about uh, virtual only, you know, it's either brick and mortar or a virtual care. Now we're really, I think, getting more sophisticated into the concept of um, how do you hybridize care across both brick and mortar, virtual, and then even an automated care element um, and leveraging remote patient monitoring. So how do you take all of these different elements to to really understand what is happening with a patient as they walk through their lives, to ensure that they are appropriately engaged in their healthcare journey, give them right-sized and right-timed medical advice, treatment and intervention, and then ensure that you can, as always, sort of the gold star is improve those outcomes in their, in their health. And by improving outcomes, you should drive down cost. Yeah, absolutely. All those things are surely connected. And to go to another point um, that, you know, I care a lot about, and I'm sure millions of others in America care a lot about mental health. So as of this year, it's been reported that 160 million Americans live in areas facing mental health provider shortages. While the demand for these services grows, especially after COVID, how can virtual care play a role in addressing access issues here? It's critical. Uh, and frankly, with the shortage that you see uh, both in uh, the world of therapy, uh, the shortage of therapists, uh, with the growth in demand, uh, and and the critical shortage of psychiatrists across the United States, um, just general psychiatrists, and then, of course, pediatric psychiatry and pediatric therapy uh, is, uh, we are facing a crisis in the United States. So, uh, the ability to actually improve access from areas where there is a real paucity of clinical providers and bring those providers through a telehealth setting into those regions. And then in addition to that, um, really expand the type of care that's being given. You know, we talk about video visits and that's one that's one way to improve access and ensure that people get the care that they need when they need it. But it still begs the question of um, individual visits can be very costly. And uh, how do we ensure that with a growing understanding of the mental health needs in, it's frankly global, but I'll, I'll focus on our country. Um, if, how do we ensure that that cost, that the, that the cost of delivering that care now that we're understanding that there's a greater need for care, doesn't completely bankrupt uh, health systems or health plans uh, or individual patients that can't really afford it because they don't have mental health coverage. And that's really where some of the augmented AI and automated care can come into play. You know, there are several companies out there. Um, as a vice president of Amwell, I'm particularly familiar with one of the solutions that Amwell has uh, through its Silver Cloud offering. SilverCloud is not the only one out there, but I think they've got really remarkable data uh, in delivering cognitive behavioral therapy uh, to patients with mild to moderate anxiety and depression over a uh, specific period of time, monitored by health coaches that actually showed a dramatic improvement in symptoms of depression and anxiety uh, over the course of that, that therapy. Um, and really outcomes that are equivalent for that targeted patient population to talk therapy. So I think that there's a lot of really interesting opportunity, both through, both through um, augmented AI, as well as through traditional telehealth. Um, 
funny that I'm using the word traditional with telehealth, but I think we're in a, in a zone now where you can. And I think there's room for all sorts of really creative solutions, but it's a key part of the solution to the crisis, the mental health crisis in the United States. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for touching on that topic. And in your view, what are some must-have elements of a virtual primary care strategy? Are there any examples of tools and capabilities that you would recommend personally? Absolutely. And I would start with the one that is perhaps obvious, but I think it's really important. You have to have committed primary care providers that uh, believe in longitudinal care. So it's a it's a really special group. Primary care providers are a special group of individuals. They are not, not better than other types of clinicians, but they have a longitudinal mindset. And so you can't take doctors that are typically doing urgent episodic urgent care visits and expect to have the same kind of outcomes with um, a longitudinal program. And I will also say that with longitudinal virtual primary care currently, and this may change over time as adoption grows, many of the individuals that sign up for virtual primary care, patients in particular is what I'm referring to, tend to be more complicated, whether it's because they don't have access, so they haven't been seen in a while, or they actually have not liked the providers that they've been seeing. So our experience has been that many of the people that actually end up in a virtual primary care setting tend to actually have a unique set of problems. So you have to have providers first that are capable of um, understanding and addressing those in the way that uh, longitudinal care providers do. But then, of course, to your question, you have to provide the types of tools that that providers need because you are doing this virtually. <laughs> so, so there's several elements of data that you have to get that you can't do by putting a stethoscope on a person's chest. For example, if a person, if a provider wants to be able to catch a blood pressure on a patient. Um, you know, when you go into the doctor's office, the first thing that the the uh, nurse or medical assistant that's rooming rooming you does, they put you on a scale, they check your weight, and then they check your blood pressure. They might check your temperature. Well, those are all important pieces of data. Now, one could argue that they're not important for every single visit at, for every single condition, but they're all of those pieces of data are important enough that remote patient monitoring is critical and digitized remote patient monitoring, which is, for example, maybe a person with a um, history of hypertension or high blood pressure can will have a blood pressure cuff delivered to them that is not just let the doctor and the video visit watch you take your blood pressure. That's one level that you can get. But the other level is to actually have it integrated directly into the software system. So the provider actually not only checks, has access to the blood pressure in that visit and can check it, but they have access every time you check your blood pressure at home. And then let's add another level to this of automated care. You're checking your blood pressure at home. What if that connects to your automated care um, component of your visit that then says, interesting, we just noticed um, that when you checked your blood pressure, it's seeming a little high. Did you want to talk about it? Or it's seeming very high. Um, we recommend that you connect with your primary care provider uh, in the next 24 hours, or it's seeming at emergency levels. We're really concerned. We want you to actually connect for an urgent care visit, or would you like me to call 911? All, all of those different scenarios. So, so you noticed in that story that I built 
I pulled in remote patient monitoring. I pulled in automated care to assist with that patient engagement between visits, which is so critical because you get 15 minutes, maybe if you're lucky, in a visit with a with a clinical provider in a in a visit. Maybe 30 minutes if it's a really long visit, a wellness visit, or frankly, if it's for behavioral health, it might even be 50 minutes. But then the next time you see your provider is going to be maybe maybe a month if you know if it's a really acute issue or maybe more likely 4 to 6 months down the road and there's all sorts of decision making that's happening during that period of time between visits that we really need to actually be able to capture the data that people are gathering on themselves their weights their blood pressure their symptoms and surface it to the care team that can then respond and engage people when they're all out and about living their life i think other less sort of sexy things would be there. We talk about data capture. You have to have an electronic medical record that can literally capture these different discrete data points and aggregate them so that a provider or even a health plan can understand a population, how the health of a population of people are doing. So providers like to understand your individual health, but they also want to understand, for example, how are all my hypertensive patients doing? Am I really treating them in a way that from um, January 1st of the, of the year through December 30th of the year, I can see that all of my hypertensive patients, well, better put, 60% of my hypertensive patients have actually improved their blood pressures down to normal. And I can see that without just having sort of as an aggregate and it's reported on a dashboard in a database and there's all sorts of people that would love to see that. And frankly, that gets us into value-based care, which is a completely separate subject. But what if providers are uh, incentivized by those good outcomes and they get paid for the additional value that they are creating for the outcomes for their patients? So a lot of different pieces in there, data tracking and captured, the uh, ability to take remote patient monitoring and integrate it into an EMR that can track that data and aggregate it and report on it, automated care for time between the visits. So in a summary, that would be those would be the key pieces that I would say are critical to virtual primary care. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much for sharing all of that insight and kind of an add-on to everything we've discussed so far, especially um, my previous question, but how can the type of strategy we've discussed contribute to overall improvements in patient outcomes, care delivery, and costs? Are there any success stories or case studies that come to mind? You bet. There are several different case stories, and I think um, I'm going to focus on uh, a case that actually came to Amwell from one of our partners, Northwell Health, who leveraged our automated care strategy to ensure that they had improved maternity outcomes and maternity engagement for their patients. So they were looking to ensure that they had, and they had several different programs, uh, so I may mention a couple of them, but particularly with their maternity program, they actually had um, a, an automated care feature in which they reached out to all of their patients that were engaged in their prenatal program and made sure that they were checking, I believe these were um, preeclamptic patients. And so they were checking their blood pressures and made sure that they were accessing the blood pressures uh, in an appropriate way and that they were checking for symptoms 
for um, worsening of their preeclampsia or toxemia. And so they would check for headache, they would check for blurred vision, they would check for unusual kinds of swelling. And they, they found that they were actually able to significantly improve the outcomes and bring patients in earlier than they might otherwise have without this. They had, I believe it was a 76% engagement uh, from patients and they found that they actually had significant improved or reduced uh, uh, preterm births from that particular program. So the Northwell Health had another program uh, which was monitoring gaps in care in, in primary care. And again, this used the automated care component of what we were talking about. And uh, prior to instituting this automated care where they would reach out to patients to say, when was your last colonoscopy? It looks like you're due for this. And they actually were able to integrate with the electronic medical record to pull that data and uh, to identify that somebody was not up to date on their colonoscopy or their mammogram or um, you know any of the gaps in care that are preventative measures that are typically monitored. And they had um, an 89% satisfaction rate on the gaps in care automated care program. And they were able to close almost 70% of the gaps in care with which, you know, any of your health plan executives <laughs> that might be listening to this podcast will immediately recognize that's a really remarkable uh, statistic. So they also had an issue with uh, colonoscopy no-shows. And so patients would um, schedule their colonoscopy appointment and um, they had a really significant rate. Almost 50% of patients uh, actually were no-showing for the colonoscopy, which as you can imagine, that's a lot of, you know, you have to book, you have to book the colonoscopy room, you book the anesthetist, uh, you book the doctor who's doing the colonoscopy. That's a lot of lost uh, revenue and frankly, lost opportunity for patients. In this colonoscopy reminder automated care, they had a 48% reduction in their no-show and cancellation rates. And they were also interestingly able to identify that they had a barrier to care in 20% of those people. And so they were able to then go through and identify some of the social determinants of health and address SDOH in ways that they hadn't even anticipated in, in starting this program. So those are a couple of examples that I could that I could share. There's several others uh, that I could riff on if, uh, uh, you know, time depending, but um, I'll just leave it. I'll start with those. Yeah. Yeah. No, amazing examples. Thank you so much for sharing those. And overall, you've given such good intel, you know, about this topic. Um, before I let you go, is there anything our listeners should know? You know, I think is it when we talk about virtual care and particularly virtual primary care, the real key to understanding how to deliver an effective virtual primary care and virtual care offering is to not simply assume that you're taking brick and mortar models of care and workflow and putting them into a video visit. What we have found is you really need to deconstruct the workflow, deconstruct the visit and identify what is it that you can do through a virtual setting what is it that really you should leverage some other technologies, whether it's an automated care chat, uh, whether it's uh, a CBT program, um, whether it's frankly leveraging um, uh, some health coaches uh, to engage in some of the care management, but break down the workflows and figure out what can be done virtually and then figure out what the technology is out there. Telehealth and particular virtual, virtual primary care is not just it's not, it, it, 
almost every piece of it is going to need to be a hybrid care. But what that means, what part is brick and mortar, what part is automated, what part it comes through virtual, and who does those specific components, there's so much amazing opportunity, but you've got to be smart. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Horner, for your time and thought-provoking response to responses today. We really do appreciate it. Uh, we'll also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Amwell. Uh, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Becker's Healthcare Podcast. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com. Thank you again, doctor. You bet. Thank you.